Hello, and welcome to another Meta Media Group production of On Purpose Magazine, featuring interesting, inspiring, educational, and entertaining stories, discussions, and interviews of purpose, with purpose, on purpose. Hello, everybody. This is J.W. Nigerian with On Purpose Magazine, and today we're here with Gloria Loring. Hello, Gloria. Hello. How are you? Wonderful. I want everybody to pull up a nice, comfortable chair, start a fire, put on a pot of tea, because we're going to spend <laughs> a little time speaking to Gloria. Uh, you've just come out with a, a new book, right? Yes, yes, yes. Very excited. Coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. A quote by people, Albert Einstein. <laughs> I was going to say, for people who have heard that before, that's the famous Albert Einstein quote. Yeah, you know, I knew that saying, coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous, for many, many years before I discovered that it was had been said by Albert Einstein. And that was even more exciting to me, or as exciting as the quote itself, because the quote started me thinking about the subject of coincidence. I had, the first chapter of my book, chapter one, details a story about how I was, um, through a series of coincidings of meaningful events, able to raise a million dollars for diabetes research. And one of those coincidings was the appearance of a little card, a little business card that was printed with the words, Expect a Miracle, that appeared in my dressing room at Days of Our Lives 24 hours before I met the man who became my benefactor, helped pay for the printing of the book. I had the book all ready to go. We were 10 months into the process, but I had no money to print the book. And I kept thinking, something's got to happen. We didn't come this far and get this close to not be able to bring this thing home now. And sure enough, this little card showed up in my dressing room in Burbank, California. I got on a plane that night, flew to Houston, and the next afternoon met this man who Volunteer, uh, when I told him about the cookbook, volunteered to give me $10,000 to help underwrite it, helped me find some more money, etc. And now as I was report, uh, repeating this story of all these coincidings that helped me raise a million dollars for diabetes research because my son had diabetes. Right. The interviewer, much like you, JW, said to me, well, you know, I said, isn't that an amazing coincidence? And he said, well, you know, coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. And I said, wait, 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 let me get a pencil. Write it Tell down. me that again. i got to write this down. <laughs> and exactly. Hey, Gloria, I'm going to step back for one yeah, second because, sure. you know, because your fan base, they're, they're loving you and they, they just want to hear about you. But there's a couple of people going, who's he talking to? Oh, I'm talking, <laughs> I am Gloria Loring. I am, you are Gloria uh, Loring. And Gloria Loring. I am. Yes. Last time I checked. <laughs> Last time you checked. Well, check again, cause, but I know you still are. <laughs> Gloria, you I, have, uh, you've had a terrific career in, how, I mean, you started really, uh, I, I understand from Wikipedia, you started like age 14 singing in folk group, those four. Yes, yes. And you grew, you, you, you grew on to um, do all kinds of great shows. You were on Carol Burnett. Uh, you were, you, you did a, a bunch of different stuff, but you're you're really well known because, of course, uh, you just mentioned it. You were on the uh, you were Liz Chandler on Days of Your Life, and you Days uh, of Our Lives, yeah. Days of yeah. Our Lives, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> and a lot of people don't know. Uh, I think a lot of people don't know this because I didn't know it, and I've heard these songs a zillion times. 
with your husband, um, actor Alan Thicke. You wrote Different Strokes and the Facts of Life song. Yes, the Facts of Life theme song. That's uh, also my voice you've been hearing all these years. You take yes. the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have the Facts of Life. That's me. And, yes, a lot of people don't realize that. Some do. I also had a number one hit a number yes, of years ago. Yes, this so is important because this is what I think what you're, what you're really well known for because you had a number uh, two pop hit and a number one uh, adult contemporary hit, and it was also a hit with Eddie Rabbit and Juice Newton later on. Yeah, the same song. I didn't write it, but I did find it, and then they heard my version with Carl Anderson. It's called Friends and Lovers. Um, and one that was another one of those coincidences. And I love the name of your magazine, On Purpose, um, because literally I was being very negative about, oh, I'm never going to have a hit record because even though I've been a singer for all these years, now I'm on a soap opera and everybody thinks I'm just a soap opera actress who sings and ran, ran, ran. I was going on and on. I was having a pity me party. Right. And uh, my, my associate producer, my dear friend Beth, said, well, wait a minute, how could it happen? So she asked this great question instead of, well, why won't it happen? Yes. She said, how could it happen? And I began to sort of brainstorm very hesitantly, well, you know, if, I mean, if I found a really great song and if I started singing it and if the fans really liked it and then maybe we could get a record company interested. And I sort of detailed this Oh, remote possibility. That very night, she went to dinner with some of the other producers on the show, and they were talking about this really cool song that had been sent into the show. Beth mm-hmm. hadn't heard it. The very next morning, she brought the song into me, turned on the record player, uh, the, the cassette player, and I heard, What would you think if I told you? I've always wanted to hold you. And I listened to the song, and by the end of the first chorus, I turned the tape recorder off, and I said, oh, my God, that's a hit song if I've ever heard one. So within 24 hours of talking about how it could happen, there was the song. So what this showed me, that very often what we need, what we want, what what is good for us or beneficial for us is very close by, but sometimes, as your magazine notes, we have right. to get on the purpose of attracting it. We have well, let's, to- let's talk about that because uh, I want to delve into this a little bit because one of the things that comes up for me when you talk about coincidence, I think it's easy for people to say, well, it's Gloria Loring. Of course, she could do all this stuff. You know, she's an actress and a number one singer and all this stuff. It's easy for her. But it wasn't easy for you. You had you had a tough life, and I think that a lot of us have opportunity around us all the time, but we're not in the frame of mind to actually even see it. Is that correct? Well, I, I, I think there are lots of opportunities. There are lots of goodnesses all around us, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I'm one of those people that if people looked at me when I was 18 and starting my singing career with my you know, good teeth and a good jawline and long blonde hair and, you know, a a, a good good enough singer to get noticed everywhere I went, they would say, oh, she must have it so easy. No, I didn't. Um, I danced as a go-go girl to earn enough money to feed myself one weekend. Um, My dad was an alcoholic. My parents got divorced. 
um, there was a, a highly inappropriate sexualized experience with my father, and there may have been more than one, but I know about one particularly, that, mm-hmm. that um, impacted me enormously. Um, but it also, see, here's, here's the other side, is even though it, it hurt me and shattered a part of myself, it also pro- helped prompt me to want to go out into the world and be beautiful and be valuable and sing and, and you know, be applauded. And, and it, it prompted me to want to be good and special in the world. And that's so a huge point, Gloria, because a lot yeah. of people use a lot of people use uh, the things that happened to them as the reasons why they can't. And I love that you took what happened to you and made it as the reason that you needed to. Well, I see. I can see that now because I have enough perspective. When I was in the middle of it, I was fairly unconscious. I just put one foot in front <laughs> of the other. But I can look back now and say, "Wow, you know." Maybe if those things hadn't happened, I wouldn't have wanted so desperately to to be special. I wouldn't have worked so hard. I wouldn't have tried so hard. You know, there's there's a there can be um, a positive side. Um, the Christian mystic Pierre Pilar de Chardin said, right. "Not everything is immediately good, but everything is capable of becoming good." And I remember hearing <clears throat> Mary Manon Morrissey, who I love. She's a, a wonderful um, minister and, and motivational being. And um, she was speaking and she was talking about her own uh, devastating circumstances where she and her husband were head of a huge church. And her husband, her then husband, no longer, um, stole money from the church. Mm-hmm. And it came out, they lost everything. They lost the church. I think he went to prison. She was not defrocked or whatever. I mean, you know, she was chad to leave because who knew that she wasn't a part of this in some or whatever. It just and she wound up on a beach at one point and she had a, an epiphany and she saw that that she had been talking about these spiritual concepts, but she hadn't gotten down to the baseline of what what is God? Who is this being for me? How do I embody it? How do I really know it? I mean, sometimes we have to lose almost everything or a whole lot of stuff before we get down to, wait a minute, what do I actually believe? What is actually important? What do I value? What do I want my life to look at? Right. Very often people who get um, who get cancer will say, cancer transformed my life. I now understand what's important. I've read this time and time again. And Mary Manning Morrissey said, that husband of mine, I can look back now and see that what he did, as painful and impossible as it was, was actually a gift to me. And she, she had a great analogy. She said, you know how when you watch a movie and there's a bad guy? You know, it might be Heath Ledger as Batman, you know, the right. Joker, or it might be a, a Robert De Niro or, a, you know, I mean, just who's playing the ultimate bad guy or Joe Pesci or whatever. And you can imagine that they go out and they act in this scene, and he's just the most despicable human being in the world. And then they go off stage, and De Niro turns to Pesci and says, God, you're the best bad guy. You are the most <laughs> fabulous bad guy. And Mary Mann and Morrissey said, you know, I wonder... It's when we get on the other side and we finish this life, we meet that person in spirit and say, you were the best bad guy in my life. 
Do you know what you made me do? You made me examine everything I believed in. You made me rebuild my life from the ground on up, and it was better than ever. <laughs> so I wonder if we don't have, I, I not just wonder, I feel truly in my heart that we have the chance with anything that happens to us to find a new way of being, to build ourselves on a new foundation, to, um, you know, it was when I thought I was losing everything um, that I, I finally said, I, I need to pray, and I don't know how to pray. I don't believe in some guy with a long beard sitting on a throne somewhere, zapping this and destroying that and sending this right. person to hell forever. I just, that's the, that's the God of my childhood or what I absorbed. And I, so, but I don't know what to believe. And I said, please, I, I, I said a little sort of prayer up, even though I thought I didn't know how to pray. And I said, please, I, I want to know how to pray. And within a month, I was given, now this sounds, this is in my book, a yoga correspondence course. <laughs> a friend, go figure, a yoga course. But you see, I had a very ecumenical view of the world and religion and spiritual understanding. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I thought that maybe, maybe all the paths are good, each in their own way, each within their own cultural framework. Um, maybe there are lots of ways to know, understand, and be a part, play our, have access to that presence, power, and, and magnificence that created us, that intelligence. And I thought I would never find one group uh, thinking that would allow me to, to have that ecumenical viewpoint. And now mm -hmm. here it was delivered to my doorstep once a month. And it was a, it's a yoga philosophy, it's not a religion, but it's that we have access to the great self, the inner self, the divine self, the higher self, whatever you want to call it. And we are a microcosm of the macrocosm. These are all mm -hmm. concepts that have been around right. for a long time. So I began to investigate, to read this. Then I was invited, and this whole process is in my book, I was invited to be in the in the presence, not very private, with 6,000 other people in a wonderful um, uh, program in which I was introduced to meditation, and I had these experiences of joy and bliss welling up within me, tears coming to my eyes, you know, big smile on my face. I thought I was losing my mind, and I was in a good way. <laughs> I right. was beyond my thinking. I was into this space of pure joy. And it was like, wow, whatever this is, I want more of this. <laughs> you know, is, so, is, this a, is this about you becoming aware? Because you kind of talked, like you said, uh, you mentioned that you were kind of lost and really not uh, aware in your younger life. As you, as your spiritual journey that you write about in this book, is it a, about becoming aware and sitting down with yourself and asking the questions and trying to answer them? Yes. To, to starting to be responsible for our own lives. See, here's the intersection, is that coincidence, the coinciding of meaningful events, has two basic ways of showing up in our lives. One is a reflection or a mirror of something that has enormous, uh, an enormous emotional or psychological or spiritual charge for us. You right. know, certainly in that moment where I felt bereft and didn't know where to go, didn't know where to turn, 
felt all alone in the world and knew I wanted to pray, but didn't know how and said, help me, I, I said, help me. And the help that was perfect for me, meaningful events, it was meaningful for me. Somebody else might have gotten that yoga correspondence course and, oh, what is that? Skip, skip. I don't need that. I'm throwing it away. Right. But you see, I was open and receptive. I wanted something. And as I started to read the first words of it, I felt like, oh, this is, oh, I like this. This is good for me. It was the right thing for me. So, so first of all, coincidence is reflective or a mirror of something that's going on for us. Because if it wasn't, we wouldn't notice it. It would sail right on by. But the very fact that it catches our attention means that we're like a dartboard and we've got a little Velcro for that issue. You know what I mean? <laughs> like one right. of those Velcro dartboards. And the second um, kind of coincidence, basic kind of coincidence, is a guidance coincidence. And once again, if we're saying, help me, I don't know what to do, and a friend calls and says just the right thing on the phone that prompts a moment of inquiry, a moment of contemplation, a moment of revelation for us, there's that coinciding, that guidance that's coming. It might be a song you hear on the radio about forgiveness when you're struggling with forgiveness. Um, it, it could be anything. You see, everything we need is all around us. Right. And coincidence helps us if we understand that coincidence is for us individually because if we didn't notice it, it wouldn't be a coinciding of a meaningful event. Right, and it's, it's so funny, Gloria, because because you talk about coincidence and coinciding, and I really love this. But it actually actually talks very heavily to that old saying: "There is no coincidence." Does that make sense? Yes, yes. There's no such thing as coincidence. Yes, there's another thing. We have a number of of meanings for that word coincidence. One of them yeah. is certainly uh, you know something that happens for which there seems to be no cause and effect. Well, yes, at a, at a uh, at a surface level, there wouldn't seem to be any reason for me to meet in Houston the man who became my benefactor and helped me raise a million dollars when the, in Burbank a card called Expect a Miracle came into my life. But you see, the higher up we go, the bigger our vision is of the connection that we share, not just to the people we already know, but to everything and everyone that we could possibly know, the bigger our vision gets, like climbing up the Empire State Building. You know, for, at first you only see the block right next to you, then you see a few more blocks. The bigger the vision, the more likely are, we are to see the connectivity that we have to, again, everything we need to know and everything we need to grow. Well, okay, let's talk about that a little bit because um, this, this this sounds like the law of attraction, but you're putting action behind it. And a lot of people would say, how do I trust myself to go ahead and take the risk and move on the things that I feel? Well, I, I think it's, it's, it's feeling it. Um, I, I outlined the four steps that I followed. What, and again, I didn't know this at the time, but it was when I looked back that I could see very clearly um, mm-hmm. how I raised the million dollars for diabetes research. I had a purpose. My little son, who was about five and a half, he'd had diabetes for a year at that point. Right. This is type one, in, right? 
type one with shots and he hated his shots and we had oh, to hold yeah. him down and he said, I hate you and all of this. And at one point he said to me, with tears in his eyes, Mama, when are my shots going to be over? And I mean, how could I tell my beautiful boy never? And so I said the next best thing I could think of, which was, well, I don't know, but we're working on it. Does now, he have a pump now, just to ask? Oh, he does have, yeah, he does have a pump. Um, okay. So we're working on it for me, man, that yes, that was true in, in part because I had joined the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation as a parent member, et cetera, and they were working on finding uh, funding research to find a cure. And I had been thinking, well, then I will watch for an opportunity to to raise money. Maybe something will come along. Well, here I am. I'm on Days of Our Lives. I know that everybody's trading recipes in the makeup room. And I come up with, ooh, what about a Days of Our Lives celebrity cookbook? And then I find out we have 10 million daily viewers and nobody's ever done any major marketing for the fans. And so all of these things. So as I looked back, I could see that there were four steps, and I call them the four eyes. And this is before iPad, iPod, iChat, and all of the other, and iTunes. Um, first of all, there was my impulse, and that was my moment of inspiration. I'm going to do something to raise money for research so that I can really say to my son, I'm doing something active to cure your right. diabetes. So there's the impulse. The second was um, the, the intention. I formed an intention based on, again, the coinciding of stuff that was meaningful for me. People are trading recipes. I had been asked for a recipe for a celebrity cookbook the year before, and so I had celebrity cookbook as part of my experience. And I mm -hmm. thought, ooh, recipes, Days of Our Lives, 10 million viewers. <gasps> so Days of Our Lives celebrity cookbook. So now I formed an intention. I'm going to publish a cookbook. Now, I had absolutely no business experience. I'd never published anything. I had no idea where to start at first, except I remembered a friend of mine who was a lawyer in Dallas having a bunch of poetry books stacked up in his home. And I said, this is poetry by, and I've forgotten who it was, by an athlete who, how do you sell these? He said, there are ways to sell books without selling them. And at the time, it kind of went in one ear and went out the other, but it, it did, did make a little stick in, the, in my head. And right. so now I called him, and informing my intention, I said, um, what did you mean when you said there are ways to sell books? And he said, well, you give them away as a premium. In other words, people buy something, and now they get a book as an extra bonus. Right. And I went, wow. So maybe what we could do is prompt people, inspire people to send money as a donation to diabetes research, and we give them a book in, 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 in response, in, in gratitude. Right. And so now I had my intention form. Now the next thing I did was I made an inventory. It's great if you can write your inventory down. I didn't. I didn't know that much then. But we know that there's something very, you really put the universe on notice when you write things down. And so I started, but what I did was I started to tell everyone, I was a big blabbermouth, everyone about my idea for the Days of Our Lives Celebrity Cookbook. And the next thing I knew, people were saying, well, I can help you with that. You know, I know so-and-so, and, 
you know what, the board member on our, our JDF board works with Architectural Digest. Next thing I knew, I had their graphics department designing our graphics. Next thing I knew, I had somebody at Time Warner who had a son with diabetes said, we'll give you some free ads in People Magazine. And I mean, all that because, again, my inventory, I told everyone, everyone I came in contact with, now, That's funny because nowadays on the Internet, everybody talks about, how do I build community? I have all these connections, but how do I build a community, which is really what you need is the next step to, to getting anything done. And you just did it because you asked. Could you step, stood yes, up and said, I, hey, here's my intention. This is what I need. And people come. Hey, do you have any ideas? And there again, everything I needed was it's that whole six degrees of separation, only sometimes it's only right. one or two degrees. Oh, and everything nowadays. I needed to make this come through was somewhere within my possible experience. So I had impulse, I had intention, I had inventory, I made an inventory and thought of everyone I could that I could tell about this cookbook, and then I went out and told them, and the help I needed came to me. And the last thing was investment. Now, a lot of people told me, you can't publish a book like that cookbook. You've got to have a professional kitchen, and you've got to have home economics economists, you know, making the chef, making the recipe. And I said, no, I tested the recipes in my own home. I called up a friend who I knew was a master chef and who did catering. And I said, will you help me look at these and make sure that they're all good and, and give me any suggestions? So, you know, all the help I needed. I went ahead and I moved forward as if there were no doubt in my mind that this was going to come true, right. that this was going to be a reality. And then when I'd gotten to that 10-month period with everything ready to go and no money, even then, because I had made the promise to my son, I don't know when your shots are going to be over, honey, but I'm working on it. And I thought in that moment, my purpose here is to do something wonderful for my son. And so I had this purpose, this intention in my heart, and I said, you know what? Something's got to happen. Something's got to happen. I didn't know what it was going to be. But, you know, we call it faith. We call it belief. We call it enthusiasm. We call it whatever. I just kept saying, something's got to happen. And something did. This man showed up in Houston. And you know what else? I had met him five or six years before, just before my son was, well, about six years before my son was born. Um, I flew on Bob Hope with Bob Hope to a big golf tournament that Bob Hope golf tournament in Cleveland and we flew on this man's plane and now here twenty four hours after the expect a miracle card shows up in my dressing room, I once again meet a man whose plane I had flown on, whose acquaintance I had made six years before, who says, Boy, I hear your son has diabetes and this and that, and my little voice in my head is saying, tell them about the cookbook. <laughs> I got a little interior, I got like a little gremlin in there, a little sweet little angel in there saying, tell them about the cookbook, because I was kind of hesitant, and I told him, and I said, you know, the only problem is I, I don't have the money to pay for the printing. I'm all ready to go. And he said, how much do you need? And I said, well, I need gulp, $40,000. And he said, well... He said, hell, he said, I'll give you 10. He said, come on, let's go out in the lobby. This is Texas. <laughs> I got friends here tonight. 
we went out there, and by the time that evening was finished, I had $17,500 pledged. And after a year of asking and doing presentations within four weeks, I had more than $40,000 to print the first 50,000 copies of the Days of Our Lives Celebrity Cookbook. And those copies sold out. We sold another 50,000. Two years later, we did a volume two of the Days Cookbook. They also sold out. I think I have about four copies left here. And those projects raised over a million dollars for diabetes research. Now, that's extraordinary. But more extraordinary was what it did for me. Because, you see, growing up in an alcoholic home, I had the idea that I was separated from goodness, that I was somehow, on a deeply personal level, powerless in the world. Not on stage. I knew I had power on stage. But my persona off stage and my persona on stage were two different things. On stage, I owned it. Off stage, I didn't have the boundaries, the sense of self that, that I would eventually come to. And it was those little incidences of, of expect a miracle. Um, in Chapter 4, the woman who started sending me letters from what she called letters from God. Um, during my secret separation from my husband. No one knew about it but me. And she said, I've been getting, I met, I'd met her once. She said, I've been getting these messages for you when I pray, and I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to send them and let me know if it's okay. And the first letter that I opened was addressed to my daughter, don't be afraid, I'm putting you on a new path. You are not alone, I am with you every step of the way. And I, I literally sobbed. Because I felt so scared about what I was going to do and what was going to happen to me. And, you know, I mean, all of these interior doubts and sensitivities that I had brought forward from my very erratic childhood and from, you know, having an alcoholic father and, and uh, sexual abuse of my childhood, all of these things. And now suddenly this, this presence, this voice is speaking to me through a woman in Nebraska. I mean, that's extraordinary. But I think people have these things happen. And I think sometimes we just brush them off. We put them aside because we may not have, may not have a framework within which to hold them. And that saying by Albert Einstein, coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous, gave me a perspective, a philosophy within which to view all the goodness that was coming into my life. Wow, that's incredible. And, you know, you mentioned that you're, I want to bring this around to the book again, but you mentioned um, the stuff that was coming up for you. And at the time, you were going through that Hollywood thing where you were um, separated from, from Alan, but you weren't telling anybody. It was You kept it quiet. Uh, so you went through that whole Hollywood thing where you kept something very secret. Now, with this book, um, you're, you're letting it all out. This is your autobiography and a spiritual journey, and it's actually, I mean, the, the, the four eyes give me the, the feel that it's also a self-help book because you're, you're not just saying this is a spiritual, mystical thing. You're talking about, you know, how to, how to lay it down, how to vision it, how to, how to go out there and do something about it. So I like that. Well, that's what I wanted to do. When I first, the, one of the reasons, it, one of the reasons, <laughs> it took me 12 years to write this yeah. book and to finally get it out in the world. Why so long? Was, well, 
at first I just wrote down the coincidences. I wrote the stories of the coincidences. Mm-hmm. And I, once you get them down on paper, you look at them and you go, wow, this is amazing. And then, of course, I'm going, yeah, but I don't want to just put a book out there saying, hey, guys, aren't I cool? Look what happened to me, blah dee da dee da <laughs> I thought, how do I understand this? How do I explain this to other people? I wanted to understand. And so I bought every book. I must have bought 15 or 20 books about coincidence and synchronicity. And I right. started reading and I started underlining and I started... And so I started to formulate ideas that both I was studying with yoga philosophy, what I was reading about coincidence, and I started writing the other chapters of the book that would elucidate, would expand on what was in, and I thought I had to do, you know, my story chapter with, with explanation, my story chapter with an explanation, and then, it, then I did that, and I wrote that whole book. And then I looked at it and I went, no, this isn't right. <laughs> this doesn't flow. And then I put it aside for a while because I I think I had doubts about, first of all, putting a book out with the word God in the title. Because um, right. I thought, well, who's going to want to read a book by, you know, singer and actress Gloria Loring that has God in the title because I'm not a theologian and I'm not, you know, I had all these doubts about myself and, and what I had to say. And But I kept studying and I kept experiencing and I kept, um, I've found myself in the position because of I am a certified yoga instructor and I've had 23 years um, as a student of yoga philosophy um, and I also teach it to others. I what, wound what, up can with, I ask you which, which uh, style you teach? You don't do Bikram, do you? Which one do you? No. <laughs> uh, what, what? No, Bikram is sort of his thing with all the heats and that. Um, right. I, taught, I taught Hatha yoga. Hatha yoga okay. is basically the generic form of the physical asanas, postures of yoga, and the purpose of hatha yoga is to prepare the body for long periods of sitting, for meditation. Um, it, it's a, a process of bringing mind, uh, breath, body, and mind into coherence. So every, so you're in the zone, and it's right. you know opening up the blockages in the body. Well, the blockages also have to do with spiritual and uh, psychological and emotional issues, you know, so... It's a whole process, and it all works together if you want to go into yoga on all those different levels. And I was going to ask but, you this, because you're, you're yes. a striking and beautiful woman, and uh, you, and you, I mean, all through your life, your pictures all through your life up until today. I just saw a video of you, and you're still striking and beautiful. As yoga kit, do you work on that real hard, or do you just have really great genes? <laughs> um. Well, I don't have great genes. I do have some good genes in, in some areas. My mother had beautiful skin, and, and I, I am happy to have good skin from her. Um, I have musical talent from both sides of the family, especially from my father's side. My father was a musician. His father and mother were both musicians. There were child prodigy musicians in their side of the family, et cetera, et cetera. Um, do I work on it? Yes, I do. Many, many years ago, um, my mother was visiting my home, and there were things about her that I could already see happening. And I thought, wow, you know, I am my mother's daughter. If I don't do things differently than she has done them, I will be at this stage when I right. get to that age. And now I am at the age she was then, and um, I have none of those things. She already had heart disease. She had high blood pressure. She had, uh. But I have used um, yoga. Uh, meditation. I'm a 23-year meditator. 
and Ayurvedic medicine, the yoga, the ancient Indian system of medicine for 23 years. So they all kind of, again, coincidence, they all coincided at the same time. I, just as I was beginning a practice of physical Hatha yoga, I came in touch with yoga philosophy and someone else, quite coincidentally, a friend called and said she was doing great. And I said, what are you doing? You sound fabulous. She said, oh, I found this Ayurvedic doctor. And I went, ooh, yoga system of medicine. Okay. So I've been going to him ever since. So all of these things, you know, play a role, keeping mind, body, spirit um, attuned to, to the best possible uh, expression of ourselves. That's great. And, and let me kind of, kind of key off that a little bit because we talk about we've been talking about all the positive and the good about coincidence coincidences are not always good are they no they're not um no i mean life gives and life takes away mm-hmm. um you know i mean there are I, there's a chapter in my book called swept away and or swept clean and um there are things that will be taken away from us and um my perspective Perspective on that is that not that we might be able to control that, but the biggest thing, uh, the biggest aspect of that is how do we want to face that challenge? Um, I lost my sister, my dear, my dearest friend in the world, eight months ago, and um, yeah, thank you. Um, but she decided that she needed to spend time here with me in my home. Um, because of the peace here, and she had two busy teenagers, and she was she was really having a hard time. And the doctors didn't seem to know what to do for her except give her pain meds at that point. And so she came here, and we worked with the Ayurvedic doctor trying to improve the quality of her days, and we did. We were able to improve quite a number of things, but there were some things that had just gone too far right. um, to be fixed. But I had those six weeks with her, and there wasn't a day that went by when she didn't look at me and say, I love you so much, and or I'm so happy to be here. And so, you see, we had that time together. Um, and, uh, you know, when my sister finally passed, she was only 52, but I don't care if you get to be 92, among the last words out of her mouth in her final 24 hours were uh, when the doctor said, there's nothing more that the doctors can do for you. I'm the palliative care doctor. I'm going to keep you comfortable. She closed her eyes for a moment, and then she looked at the doctor, and she said, well, that's okay, because I'm with God, and my God is good. Now, how can we, I don't care what age you are, how can we be sad about a person who has completed their journey in this body that much to be at peace? Um, So my sister gave us all a great, teaching and a great example um, and she verified for me what I know to be true in this life that it's not what happens to us that is most important it's how we choose to face it and she actually asked me at one point she said why do some coincidence just the question you just asked why do some coincidences um, bring bad things into our lives because she was looking at her cancer as a bad thing, of course, which is perfectly understandable. And I said, well, we can't, you know, asking why 
it's going to be impossible to get an answer to why because we can't see the whole tapestry of the world and the way we all knit together, etc. I said, but what we can do is say, yes, why me? What is this asking of me? And my sister knew from the day that she was diagnosed that she had ignored an inner prompting for over 10 years. She had heard a voice within her say, if you keep going like this, you're going to get cancer. And that voice came up, that intuition, which is the inner form of coincidence, spoke to her several times over a period of 10 years. But she ignored it because she said, well, nobody in our, our family ever gets cancer. And the day she was diagnosed, she said, that's it. I'm quitting work. I'm going to spend my time in the things I've always wanted to do that I've been trying to get around to doing for the last 10 years. And she immersed herself in spiritual study. She planted an organic garden. She spent more time with friends. She spent more time with her children. She did. She had worked since she was 13. And, you know, she she needed that time for her spirit. And so she did all of those things. She met the challenge. Um, what is this asking of me? And it was asking of her to finally live her life more in the ways that were right for her. Now, maybe if she'd had more balance sooner, it wouldn't have gotten to that point. Who knows? You know, that's not for us to say. All we can say is, what is this asking of me? If somebody really hurts us, I had something happen a couple months ago that just tore my heart up. And I, I still struggle with it, but I realize that that... That That is also an opportunity. There's that bad guy again. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> that you are such a good bad guy. <laughs> um, that person who did that helped me face um, an idea about myself that was long overdue for a renovation. Um, right. I needed to look again. So that circumstance that that hurt me because that was a part of me that's very vulnerable was an opportunity to say, do I really want to, Not it's not about being vulnerable. Uh, I, I can still be vulnerable, but do I want to believe the old messages that I'm not good enough, that I'm all alone in the world, you know, all that awful stuff we, we right, keep no, on ourselves. The baggage, yes, thank you. Um, so, so, again, what did it ask of me? It asked of me patience and forgiveness. And to realize that I've probably done something like that to someone else along the way. Oh, um, that's important. Yeah. That's you important know? to realize, you know, never say never. Uh, or, you know, whenever you say you're never going to do something, at least in my life, I've always ended up doing it. And then once you, I, and then once you realize, oh, there is another side to that story. Yes, Ian uh, Levanzant said, be careful when you blame someone for all your troubles because there's somebody on a psychiatrist's couch right now because of you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I love that. That's actually better than the, than the pointing the finger and having three pointing back, you know. I love that. <laughs> oh, that's great. So, yeah, so once again, I get to I get to see, you know, what what do I need to clean up? It's always about what I need to clean up, not what somebody else needs to clean up. Yes. It's always about what I need to clean up in my own life. And then what I have found is the more that I have chosen, there are only two choices in life, love and fear, of course, and miracles. We see this in many, many spiritual uh, texts all over the place. There are only two choices. There's love or fear. And as I have 
gotten to the point where I, I try to um, reassemble my viewpoint in, in the light of love instead of the darkness of fear, um, I find that I attract more and more loving circumstances. And most of all, my inner, my inner stance is one of more peace, more benevolence, more generosity, more gratefulness. And that's the way I want to live. So whenever something comes along and rattles me, I say, okay, what is the hardest thing about this? <gasps> well, so-and-so did such-and-such to me, and you know. <laughs> and then I say, ah, to forgive someone's thoughtlessness or their lashing out or mm. their, you know, have I ever been thoughtless? Uh, yeah. Have I ever lashed out? Uh, Yeah. Have I ever been angry at someone when they didn't really deserve my anger? It was about something else. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so. And, and you yeah. brought in the forgive word, and it's so much, you know, we always talk about you need to forgive all the people in your life, but one of the biggest people we need to forgive is ourselves. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, I love, I was looking up, the, um, or I read somewhere, that the word for give is made mm-hmm. up of for and give. And for means to put something in place of. Right. And, and give means to offer something. So we can offer something else in place of the hurt. We, that's what forgiveness is. Or we can, uh-huh. so instead of, um, as an example, a couple of months ago when this particular person did such and such acting out of their own fear and whatever, and it happened to strike a certain chord with me because I, I was like the dartboard receptive. Um, <laughs> What I did, what I had to do was I had to go back to a moment in time when this person and I had been sitting and talking and laughing and having, instead of trying to replay the hurt all the time, and then he said or she said or they said, you know what I mean? Instead of replaying the hurt, every time I started to replay the hurt, I would put something in place of. I would forgive the circumstance by remembering the time that we sat and laughed and talked and felt close and felt good together. And I thought, you know, at any moment that could happen again. And that's then this other one anomaly, this one hurtful thing would be gone. It would be fixed. And, you know, so it's all inner work. Life is inner work. It's all inner work. I can't repeat that too many times. It is all about our inner perspective, how our perception, our framework, and if someone comes into our life that prompts an unfortunate response in us, our opportunity, it's not a should, our opportunity is to look at why does that hurt? Where did that hurt originate? Um, I'll give you an example of that. Um, I teach a method called hold it lines, like hold that tiger, hold it lines. And it's actually an improvisational acting technique. And when we're children, we absorb information from around us and we form an identity. We're told our name. We're told what language to speak. You know, we're given everything. We're told what um, our religion is going to be. And... We to- yeah, exactly. Now, we, we may change our name, change our religion, what else along the way. But very often we form ideas about ourselves based on how someone treats us. 
Mm-hmm. And ahead. we can form these ideas. They're called personal myths in psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, Is that the same as ideas. memes? Not to cut in, but... Uh, I, I've heard about memes. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, that's another... Oh. It's a, okay, go, go ahead. I'm sorry. A, a trickier way of saying it, I suppose. Yeah, these are these are these little little compact statements about ourselves. Now, in acting, there's an improvisational acting technique where you take an idea that a character holds about himself or herself, and you literally put it in the body. You put it in the ankles. You put it in the knees. You put it in the hips, the heart space, the ribs, the shoulders, the elbows, the wrists, the jawline, and now you play a scene from that be- person's belief. As an example, in the movie The Rainmaker, Burt Lancaster, Catherine Hepburn. Catherine Hepburn has absorbed the idea, I'm not pretty. And so nobody will ever marry me because I'm not pretty. I'm just plain. And she goes around with her shoulders kind of down and she just, you know, she, she has a plain, not pretty attitude. And at one point, Burt Lancaster says to her, he challenges her hold it line of I'm not pretty and he says but you are you are pretty and you can see her start to light up like a candle you know her eyes start to to open and she starts to see herself through his eyes so he changes her hold it line and her whole being transforms and by the end of the movie she's a different person not because of anything that happened around her it's what happened within her we can do this for ourselves. When something or someone comes into our lives that prompts us to once again come back to an unfortunate belief about ourselves, like, I'm all alone in the world. There's no comfort for me. I'm not healthy. My, my girlfriend has had diabetes for so long and she was nine years old. She came home from the hospital, and she and her mother had decided, we're going to be great with this diabetes. And she went out to play with her friends, and the mothers wouldn't let her friends play with her anymore because she had diabetes. She was shunned. Well, now she, she, there's something wrong with me. She didn't. She hadn't thought there was something wrong with her because she got diabetes and had to take shots until people told her, no, there's something wrong with you. We can't even play with you anymore you see so we gather these ideas from that which goes on around us right. and now we have an opportunity to reformulate because very often what was true as a child is not true anymore you know maybe she had people kids who shunned her because they didn't know any better but she's now lived 48 years with diabetes so i think she's doing pretty darn well and i think she actually is pretty darn healthy 48 years and no complications you know, so not too long ago, she and I, she told me about, she realized that she had this belief, we, we found it, because she was crying about a hurt that someone, some, something had said, was said to her. And I said, well, what does it say about you? And she started to cry, she said, I'm not healthy. And I said, well, let's examine that. And we did, and we formulated a new idea about herself that she started to need to um, put into her body, to put into her, her new sense of self. She had to reformulate a sense of self. And that's what these villains, so-called villains in our lives, do for us. They reflect, here comes the coincidence, they reflect back to us what we believe about ourselves. Because, number one, if we didn't believe it, it wouldn't, when they said it, it wouldn't hurt. Because if somebody says to me, oh, you're stupid, I'll go, (laughs) 
excuse me? <laughs> right? Because <laughs> I know I'm not stupid. I'm not, I'm not the, the brightest intellectual or most learned, you know, person in the world, but I'm not stupid, you know. So I, 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 I would look at them and go, excuse me, no target here. <laughs> I have no Velcro for that issue. But they might hey, Gloria, let, let, yeah. I know we're coming up on the hour, and I really want to respect your time because I know that you yes, actually, yes. I know you have to go. So let me first say, GloriaLoring.com is where you can find Gloria, and that's L-O-R-I-N-G. Yes. Uh, the book, um, say the name of the book oh, again. It's, co- it's Coincidence. Coincidence it's, is God's Way of Remaining Anonymous. It's published by HTI, who published the original Chicken Soup for the Soul series. Oh, yeah. oh from my mouth to God's ear, may it, <laughs> may it have even a portion of that success. And, and it's available also, on Amazon just, you, and Barnes and Noble. Yes, Amazon and Barnes and Noble. You can find it there. You also have the Christmas album came out at two, 2008, 2009. And since the holidays coming up, I wanted to put a plug out for that. Yes, yes, that is on my website and also on iTunes. Uh, Gloria Loring, you make it Christmas. And this book actually has its own soundtrack CD called Turn the Page. Every chapter of the book has a song associated with it, and each chapter begins with a song lyric. So oh, that's it's, great. Um, yeah, lots of music. So this is this is great. This is great gifts. This is these are great gifts. Everybody, make sure that because once you read this book, you're going to want to give one to everybody you know. So, oh, so order a case you. of them. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. And I no problem. Uh, you know, I, I want to give you the last word, Gloria. Uh, because and and the, I can ask you the question, or you can tell me whatever you want. And one of the things, you know, we talked about the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, but you have kind of figured out. I think you figured out uh, by doing on on accident and now on purpose. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> how to attract positive coincidence in your life? And if you could end on that note, that would be awesome. When we look for the good, we are most likely going to find the good. When I went from, oh, I'll never have a hit record to how might it happen, I turned toward a sense of, of possibility and purpose. And when we turn toward the good, the good will most likely find us. We, coincidence will reflect back into our lives what we hold to be true. That is the secret. That is the power of attraction. Um, and it is a truth in this world. Wow. Incredible. Thank you so much, Gloria Loring. It was an incredible hour. I thank you so much for coming on today. It's been, I've just had a great time and it's been a great talk. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. I so enjoyed talking to you. And hello to everybody out there. And uh, we'll continue the conversation at some point. (laughs) Oh, that'd be great. Everybody, I want to wish everybody the greatest day and an even better tomorrow. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our Made in Media Group production of On Purpose Magazine. You can find On Purpose Magazine at onpurposemagazine.com. On Purpose Magazine and JW On Purpose is the property and is a trademark of Made in Media Group, and this audio is copyright 2012, and all rights are reserved.